Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. If you are currently wanting to get personalized advice to support you with your nutrition and hormones, the best place to start is for you to book in a complimentary consultation. In this 15-minute consultation, we will discuss your current health goals, what you can expect from consultations, and we cover any questions that you may have. If you're happy to go ahead, we book in a time for your initial consultation, but equally, if you need a little time to think about it, that is perfectly okay too. To book in a complimentary consultation, simply head over to selendouglas.com forward slash links and navigate to the book section. Alternatively, you will also find the booking link in the show notes on this episode. We hope to meet you very soon. Active women, listen up. Today's episode is all about the nutritional requirements and low energy availability in athletes and runners with nutritionist Alethea Mills. Now, before you say, but Selene, I'm not an athlete. If you work out, then we still consider you an athlete. So please continue listening. We're going to be covering the really common mistakes that we see active women making when it comes to their nutritional requirements and refueling around exercise. Um, So if you exercise and you want to feel better doing it, then continue listening. You're going to love this episode. Hi, Alethea, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yes, I'm excited to talk to you today. Before we get into our topic, I'd love if you could share a little bit about yourself, um, your clinic, and um, also the kinds of clients and things that you work with as well. Yeah, sure. So I'm a nutritionist here on the Gold Coast, um, working now all digital. So I'm online um, with clients based on the Gold Coast, around Australia and overseas as well. So, of course, the benefits of being online, which is awesome. Um, I graduated in 2019 and have worked on my own in my own clinic since then. So I predominantly work with sports nutrition and gut health. So I started out focusing on sports nutrition and working with a lot of endurance athletes. And then we hit COVID in 2020. And a lot of those events all started to cancel. So I had to change the business a little in where my focus was. And my other passion was really with gut health. So I did a lot of work there. And then once the event started happening again, I married the two together. Mm -hmm. And they're my two real passions now for clinic, which came a lot from my health prior to studying nutrition as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that sort of your, um, I always love these stories, but kind of your journey into nutrition and what what got you there? (laughs) Yeah. So I was growing up, I wasn't a healthy kid at all. So I grew up in the seventies and eighties. So it was very much the white bread brigade. I always talk about that. So it was lots of sort of cordial, white bread, carbohydrate diet. Um, I didn't really have a great idea about what nutrition was. Um, I then worked in hospitality for many years. So along with being in hospitality came a bit of that party lifestyle as well. And my health started to decline through my 20s. Um, Dietary wise, I was always on a form of a diet, whether it be Weight Watchers or Clean and Lean or Whole30, I was doing them all thinking that I was doing great things for my body and eating healthy. Um, And over that time, I started to feel, so I ended up then going completely vegetarian, but did it in a way where I didn't know what I was doing. I literally just took meat out of the diet and ate plant foods. And I became really fatigued. I was dizzy. I was weak and I was getting really anxious at the time. So I ended up going in to see a GP and having some tests done. 
at the time I had no idea about seeing a naturopath or a nutritionist. Um, and the GPs told me it was stress and I was iron deficient. So some of that made sense at the time, but I was given some iron supplements and sent on my way. So, of course, it was the good quality ferro-grad C I was given. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and off I went with those. And so the problem got worse over time. Um, I must have been on the supplements. Remember the first time I was on them for about four or five months mm. and I just kept piling those on. Um, and then I ended up having an incident on the M1 where I was in the car with a friend and I actually blacked out for a moment. My mm. friend grabbed my arm and yelled at me and we pulled off to the side of the road. And it was at that point where I thought, now's the time I really <laughs> need to do something and take my health into my own hands. So I started doing a lot of research on iron at the time. I changed my iron supplements. I changed my diet. I did a whole heap of things. And that then started healing that part of my life. And I got my health back. I wasn't tired. That feeling of anxiousness went. So that was sort of my initial interest in nutrition, sort of for general nutrition, I guess. And then when I got into running, that became more of the sports nutrition focus that I had then. So I had another epic episode on a half marathon I did, and then that became my sports, um, sports nutrition interest. So that was kind of my road into nutrition and knowing how nutrition can help us and heal us. Yeah, I'd love to know a little bit more about the um, your marathon incident, if you don't yeah, mind sure. sharing that. <laughs> so that was, so once I started feeling healthier and getting all of my energy back, I started running and I got this real love of running, had no idea what I was doing and <laughs> just went out. I was looking at programs online and I thought I'll sign up to the Gold Coast Half Marathon, um, was doing an online training program. At the time, I was also doing another, that was when I think I was doing like the clean and lean, thinking I'm eating really well, um, dropped a lot of weight on the way leading up to the half marathon, which I thought was a good thing at the time. Um, got into the race and never having been in a race before, I thought I knew how to pace myself at the time, didn't took off, ended up at the 11K mark with runners that I should have been nowhere near <laughs> at the time with still another 10Ks to go. And I could feel my body getting heavy. I was feeling really tired. I was out of breath. And I thought this is a really strange feeling to have. And then I don't remember anything from the 13-kilometre mark. My partner remembers coming past me. He tapped me and said, are you okay? Apparently I gave him a filthy look. I've got, <laughs> I've got no recollection of it. And then my last memory was just feeling really heavy and moving to the side of the road. And I woke up on the side of the road in this lovely lady's arms and they were calling an ambulance and I couldn't speak I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was. And it took me, oh, it was about two hours. By the time they picked me up in the ambulance, took me to the hospital. Um, initially, they thought I was in a diabetic coma, but essentially I was just completely dehydrated. And oh my God. The, yeah, so the intensity of what I'd done, hydration, all of it just fell to pieces. So everyone said to me at that point, maybe running's not for you. Maybe you should try <laughs> something else. Uh, me being me, I signed up to the full marathon the next year, got a coach, trained properly for it, learnt about nutrition and had an awesome run yeah. the year after. So, yes, that was a big wake-up call for me about nutrition yeah. and, yeah, being guided by people who are experts and know what they're doing. Yeah. And helping you through. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such a big, um, like, physical output to put your body through something like that. Um, and, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely you need to be fueling properly. Um, yeah. 
pre, during, which I'm sure you're going to talk to us a bit about. And I, I think as well, like going back to the sort of the dieting side of things, mm. I think so many people or so many women definitely will relate to that because it's very, very, very common. Um, and sometimes we also think that, you know, if we're experiencing something like weight loss, like great, it must be good. It must be working. Mm-hmm. Right. But then we often see um, so many issues, I guess, as a result of that um, post that diet, I was just even having an interesting conversation with a client recently in, in clinic who this is something I remember from being a teenager, which is just such a horrifying um Thing, but there was sort of this like um, uh, like pro, I don't know if you'll remember this, but like a pro Anna, basically like a, a movement. Yes. Yeah. Do you yes. remember that? Yeah. I so I yes. didn't, I forgot until this client sort of mentioned it to me and she said, Same. yeah, I got really caught up in that. And I did that for a number of years as a teen and, um, you know, lost a lot of weight. And I think all of my issues stemmed from then. And now she's got, you know, ongoing thyroid issues and things she's mm-hmm. trying to clear up. I'm like, of course, yeah, it definitely would have come from that. You, you know, starve your body for yeah. so long. But, you know, that's obviously a very extreme example. But I think we don't realize that even some of the um, other diets and things that might be around are often, you know, health m- like masqueraded as not much different really like it is kind of starving yourself well um yeah went back so the one I was doing at the time so it was all plant-based and it was great food Mm. but the amount was not enough and as a nutritionist I then went back just to look at the energy intake yeah and it was far off even meeting like basal metabolic rate. Yeah, was, so like under 1,200 calories yeah. or something like that, yeah. There was days at 800 calories yeah. on there. Yeah, which is just and crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's. I think it's a really, talking about that, it's a really tricky area in in running. It's in all sports. I yeah. think there are sports where they need to make weight and yeah. so whether it be sort of MMA and like boxing and those sorts of things. In running I know it's very prevalent that there's a look of a runner Mm. that people assume I've I've been told over my times that I don't look like a runner where it's like well what does a runner look like I just can't handle people (laughs) and it's real it's it's out there so that sort of aesthetic look is really on people's minds and then I think as running you get those initial benefits of if you are heavier and losing weight your pace can increase, mm. but then it becomes this slippery slope because it's at what cost? Because mm. <laughs> then there's you start losing energy, there's stress fracture risk and all these things that come into it. And then people can end up in that low energy availability state. Yeah. And presumably like being that low calorie, it would have been very low fat, I would imagine as well. Yeah. 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 Which is a Absolutely. huge, I, I, yeah, I almost like to talk to you about that today as well, because I see if I, ha- I actually have a number of clients at the moment that I'm working with that have amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. very, very commonly the scenario is I got really into my fitness or I got into like a bodybuilding sort of like comp type scenario and you know you look at the macros and things that they train up albeit well-intentioned for their mm-hmm. goals may have prescribed and you're like oh yeah I can see where the issue <laughs> has yeah. happened right like yeah. um so yeah I find that is cu- like maybe quite common I don't I don't do a lot in the athlete space but more so in that like hormonal issues and things sort of cropping up um yeah is specifically around that sort of distribution of macronutrients. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, I mean, amenorrhea is one of the big signs of yeah. low energy availability or red S, the two yeah. sort of names for it, but that's one of the big signs for women. And, yeah, and it's often ignored, I think. Yeah. I mean, you deal a lot with hormones mm. and with women, and I think I find a lot of athletes without knowing like to have that where they've missed a period so it's like great I don't have to worry about it yeah I've got an inconvenience that you don't have to deal with right yeah Yeah. so I've just got to kind of reframe that for 
for people because there's a lot of benefits um, obviously to having a period. Um, But I'd love to sort of segue into obviously you work a lot with athletes, but Mm -hmm. the I guess the main issues and misconceptions when it comes to kind of nutrition and fueling that you see with your clients? So I would say with fueling, so I always look at it and so things like the RDIs, for example, like we look at the RDIs and say, what is it? It's like for 95% of the average population, it's So that is just enough to survive. So I find the biggest thing I come across is athletes not realising, one, the energy intake that they actually need Mm -hmm. um, and talking to them about if they're training, and this even goes for not professional athletes, but the weekend warrior that's out there running or people doing a few classes during the week, that is additional energy that's required. So I always look at it, if you're doing something that's not ordinary so extraordinary the body needs extraordinary for fueling for Mm. that as well so looking at things I've got clients that are they'll look and they'll study their diet and they'll but I'm meeting all the RDIs and it's nowhere near what they need to be able to continue doing the performance and training that they're doing so usually I'll find I get people coming to me they're tired Mm-hmm. they're not recovering as well as they used to um their performance has plateaued um, and then menstrual often mm-hmm. they've got menstrual cycle um dysregulation happening as well mm-hmm. so they're sort of some of the big ones with the athletes um a lot with gut issues too so I find a lot uh constipated it's one or the other we're constipated <laughs> or they're having this urgent need to go on runs. So I've had numerous cases where, and particularly with trail runners, there's nowhere just to duck off to a toilet like there is on the road. So it causes this great level of anxiety and stress for them going into an event because they know they're going to have this explosive bowel moment at some moment. So working a lot with their gut and training Mm -hmm. their gut to be able to run at intensity So, yeah, so gut issues, nutrient levels, how to work sort of their macros as well, the importance of protein and carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is one that still gets a bit poo-pooed with everything, but how important that is. So they're the main ones there. And then event planning as well. So any of the events, I'd write up a lot of the event plans for them. And going back to the macro side of things, so carbohydrates, proteins, fats, like, yeah, you mentioned the carbohydrates, but sort of specifically, I guess, what are the, some of the big issues that you see with um, like people not doing that properly? So I think education around carbohydrates. So often if I say carbohydrates to people, they're like, I don't like bread. Yeah. But okay, that's great. There's plenty of other carbohydrates, <laughs> yeah. So I really think it's just that basic understanding of what a carbohydrate is. So mm-hmm. the moment we say it, it's almost seen as those really simple carbs, the white bread, white pasta, lollies, soft drinks, and they're like, no, I don't want any of but that. But when you look at the reg- like the recommendations online, that's the foods exactly. that's listed, <laughs> right? Like it's like... You know, if you're feeling like you need something before a training session, have a crumpet with some jam on it. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) And, you know, it's a really, I always think it's a tricky thing between being very holistic and nutrition Mm. and then sports nutrition and bringing those together because there is a time and place, obviously, for things like endurance runs. They need those quick carbohydrates. So, Things like gels will be used in those endurance runs or things like dates and all of those sort of higher sugar foods, Mm -hmm. um, even where you're using honey and those things because you want low fibre, high carbohydrate. But then for most of the time in that training period, so you're looking at 80 to 90% of the time, you don't want those items in there. So it's, it's always marrying the two together. Yeah. But, yeah, look, with carbohydrates, it's a lot of education around making sure we've got a lot of the whole grains in there. So those simple swaps from the white rice into all the other rices they can use and using legumes and beans and sweet Mm -hmm. potato and all of those. 
So a bit of an education there. Protein, generally not enough for the training yeah. they're doing. Do you find that's a specifically female thing or? Yes, you, yeah. 100%. Okay, I, good. I think so. I think, think it is. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I it's difficult for me to say because I nearly work exclusively with women now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously that's just what I see all the time. But um, previously, yeah, when I was having male clients, that wasn't an issue and just, you know, based off friends and partners and things like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you don't have an issue with protein. If anything, it's probably you need to tone yes. it down a little bit, right? Um, it is. So I just so cu- like how to, where, it, why? Well, I, well, I always <laughs> think it comes from like men's magazines yes. and yeah. men's websites. Everything is about protein and bulking. And steak. (laughs) It is. It's all the focus on just getting bigger and more protein. Whereas I don't find, whereas if you look at the women's sites and women's fitness magazines, a lot of it is still based on weight. salads and And things like that. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said for the message that's coming Mm. across. Um, I do have a lot of women that then feel like if they're increasing their protein, they're just suddenly going to be these <laughs> strong women, these mu- yeah, muscles is- on muscles, and it just doesn't happen like no. that. So, um, but I mean, looking at even the athletes, like they're surprised. I have a minimum with athletes of 1.2 grams per yeah. kilo of body weight. Yeah. Which is fine. Like I, I think to be honest, like nearly everyone should be eating. Yeah. That (laughs) at least that, you know, if not, you know, some people probably would benefit from more, but yeah, it's such a huge, um, like a mindset shift for people. And even, you know, I, um, I don't get, because obviously most of my clients don't have really specific sort of, um, athletic or physical body comp goals or anything like that. Mm So I tend to, talk to them more about like what that looks like in terms of portion sizing, because I'm not going to get them to go away and do um, tracking. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I do, but um, very rarely. Um, And the feedback often is like, I didn't know I had to eat that much protein. Like it was just like shocking to me that that was Mm -hmm. how much was actually required. Um, And yet it's such a, it's just such an interesting thing. And I guess like, what are some of the, signs and symptoms we might have that we're not having enough protein, obviously specific to um, to exercise and training as well. Yeah. So if you're looking at body composition, obviously yeah. muscle mass, yeah. that will be the first thing in there. But injury, that's, yeah. that's a big one we mm-hmm. see. And then not being able to recover from injury. Yeah. So it's always really interesting looking at different athletes where they can have similar injuries or similar surgery Mm. and one could come back in four to six weeks and another is still struggling four months down and you start having a look at the diet in there and generally protein's going to be the one in there. So even and also sources of protein, so we need it to be really leucine, rich in the proteins um even the use of collagen it's really quite interesting using collagen for injury and if they're not having that protein or um, supplementing with collagen that injury time so they're always the big ones if anyone's continually having musculoskeletal stuff going on protein's a big one i mean obviously i look at everyone's protein when they come and see me but um that will generally be um mood changes yeah yeah as well is a really tidy yeah you sort of so yeah quite a few things so yeah always always after the sugar rush is so I always look at protein and carbohydrate there but yeah the mood changes so that real loss of love for Mm. their training um is another one that I look at yeah definitely um and then what about fats um, so for fats, I, I mean, most of mine, honestly, fat is something that they're pretty good with. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you find it different or? Um, no, normally I'd say most people are good with that. It's just, um, yeah, this collection of clients that I have at the moment with amenorrhea, I think that in general, that tends to be one that's had quite a low 
recommendation. And I find that's off the back of them wanting to achieve a particular physical or body comp goal. Um, and they've been recommended, um, you know, it might be, I often like try and use percentages, but it, it might be like 20 or 30% of their total, um, you know, oh. caloric intake might be from fats or something like that, which I, I find is too low. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, particularly when you sort of look at the distribution of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then often just the like the overall caloric intake is often too low as well in these clients yeah. too for what they're doing because a lot of the time, like say, for example, a couple that come to mind, they were maybe doing sixteen to 1,700 calories a day, which isn't, ridiculously low but for someone that's training absolutely an hour a day and then doing like they're actively doing 10 to 15,000 steps right like these are those types of people that are tracking how many steps okay. they're doing and that sort of thing yeah. like they know all the numbers that yeah they're doing all that sort of thing which not all my clients are like that um it's just not enough like it's nowhere near enough food right not at all like, and it's a real mindset for people mm. to then move away. Oh, yeah. You can't go up to where you would want them to be overnight. Like you have to really step like that has to become a gradual thing. And to be honest, most of the time, um, because if those sorts of clients for me, they're at the point where they're like, I'm wanting to work on getting my period back. I mm-hmm. still kind of, I'm still have these physical goals, but I, they're less important to me now because I can obviously see that this is a real issue. I typically try and get them eventually to hopefully like move away from tracking everything so religiously yeah. as well because I think that's a huge part of the issue mentally is Absolutely. the, you know, the, what's the word, like the Are hold that that has on them. Yeah. yeah. I remember doing this. It was actually in one of my first years of uni and I remember thinking I'm going to track mm. and see what impact that has on me. It's huge. At, yeah. And at the time I was thinking I've got a really good relationship with food. I don't have any fear of food. Like it's all and I was tracking away and I did it for about a week and that was after a week I stopped for a day and thought, oh, and it felt odd yeah. to me. But yeah. even in that week, that loss of trust in your own ability and this attachment mm. to a figure. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got to get to that figure. I don't care yeah. how I get there, but I need yeah. to get to that. Yeah, I did a, um, this was so many years ago. It was actually before I studied. I was in the probably, I think I was like 21 or something like that at the time. And I did like a, I was living in, um, in Sydney and I did like a, some sort of, I don't know, challenge or something through the gym that I was at and had no idea really about nutrition. And, um, I don't even remember how many calories I was prescribed to be honest, but like in five weeks, I don't remember how much I lost, but I lost like a substantial amount of weight. I'm 174 centimeters. So I'm like five, eight or something like that. And I got down to about 52 kilos doing it. Like I was at the time I was like, Oh, this is great. Like I've made so much progress. I look back Mm -hmm. at photos now and I'm like, Oh my God, there was nothing there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember getting like, so, and this is also, I think sometimes like the type of person that you are as well, but Mm-hmm. I was so obsessed with doing it over that. I didn't do it after that, but over that sort of six-week period. And the other thing I found with it that was really interesting was like even if you weren't hungry anymore at the end of the day but you had like, oh, I've, I've got, got 200 calories left, great, I better find something yeah. that I can eat that's going to specifically fit into this. Like, <laughs> It's just so dumb and crazy yeah. that like – you know, the quality of food just yeah. goes out the window. And yeah. I also think I remember because tracking whole foods is actually harder. So you become yeah. it's easier just to scan a bar oh, yeah, yeah. or do whatever that might be. So yeah, yeah I remember yeah. I was buying these, um, there was like a really nice sort of um deli thing that was near me and I would buy these soups that come they, they they were not terrible but it was like you know probably a tomato minestrone soup or something so like no protein in it and very low calorie like it was probably like 200 calories so I was like great 
this is so perfect. much. Yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> this is just what I need before my 90-minute boxing session this afternoon. Like just so you look back yeah. and you're like, oh, God. Um, but, yeah, I, that was sort of my main experience with tracking and I definitely found I got like very obsessive, yeah. um, very obsessive with it and, yeah, mm-hmm. sort of out of touch with like what I actually needed and felt like at the time I was kind of like, okay, cool. What do I have left for the day? And how am I going to make that fit in? And I remember the recommendations around that sort of challenge where, you know, like the, the Greek yogurt and added protein and the, like all of those sorts of like as low calorie as you can um, kind of thing, which is just, yeah. Yeah. Funny the lower now. the calorie, the better. If yeah. You can on no calories, then that's awesome. It was sort of, yeah, it's terrible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It really yeah. is. And I also find that when talking about fat there as well, it's, I find with the people I work with, a bit of a generational thing as well. Yes, so I 100%. Think in 80s, 90s, it was that real push for low fat. Yeah. Was, that was bad. And that is still. That's still coming through yep. now. Yeah, you see people so, doing it with like the, is it like um, cottage cheeses and things like that that they'll often be eating and mm-hmm. just they'll they'll specifically say in their notes like low-fat milks or low-fat yep. yogurts yep. and things like that. Um, yep. And, yeah, it is a real mindset shift, I think, because I think in general the, the word fat when it comes to our diet should just be renamed. Like we should just... rename it all together because of course it's confusing like fat on our body fat in our food we literally eat it that's it just you think it's dietary fat yeah I mean like regardless of I think the sort of the research and stuff that came out from that sort of Ansel Keys Mm -hmm. um, around saturated fat and also the the low fat message being pushed makes sense that we would draw conclusions between dietary fat and fat on our body. So I think in general, we'd kind of just need to like rename it something else and (laughs) move on with it. But yeah, people, I think find that really hard because, and I guess that again comes back to like, well, fats are higher in calories per gram than proteins and carbohydrates. And if we look at weight loss as being only based on the calorie equation, Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that we yeah. would want to reduce that, but that's just not the case, is it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Like, I just think it's such it's so complex yeah. in that sense. Like, I always talk about, of course, energy is a part mm. of weight management. Of course, it is. Yeah, but it's so much more nuanced than that. Yeah. it's just not this simple. There's your number. Away you go. Yeah. Work on that. It's just that's never going to be productive mentally, physically. Yeah, well, you could it. prescribe yeah. two people with completely different Oops. genetics, yeah. hormones, um, insulin levels, the exact same diet plan, different training yeah. schedules, <laughs> and I guarantee you they will not come back with the same results. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. It's sort of always that thing, isn't it? When nutrition is so simple but so complex, yeah, at the, yeah. At the same yeah, yeah, time, yeah. yeah, it's simplified down to real food. But then I think, like the the depending on your goals, like we can get so yeah. much more specific than that, and and also what's going on in that that individual's body. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yes, that was the fat, and then. <laughs> digress um micro with the micronutrients too yes something that that. yeah I tend to find because there's a lot of focus in the sport world on the macronutrients (laughs) um but a lot of the micronutrients are missed so some of the big ones for athletes is like the likes of iron um magnesium for sort of muscle recovery and nervous Mm -hmm. system and bones um, carnitine for energy, um, coenzyme Q10, um, vitamin D for bones. Um, B12 is often mm. one that's quite low as well. Um, and then things like creating mm. is another one sort of in that athlete world too. Yep. So, and then of course, all the antioxidants, which great for everyone I always look with athletes that generally they have more of the mitochondria so those Mm -hmm. as you know the energy centers in the cells and so they produced 
um, high levels, levels of free radicals. So antioxidants are a big part of mm-hmm. what I look at in their diets too. And then with something like magnesium, do you normally mm-hmm. recommend supplementing with something like that? Um, for a lot of the endurance athletes, yes. Yeah. 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 And you could really, it's quite instant that the muscle yeah. recovery, the sleep, the nervous system. So I do, that's one of my favorite supplements. So I think it's every I, nutritionist favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything, just have some magnesium, see what happens. Yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, it's one of those ones that just has so many yeah. benefits. And for endurance athletes, that that muscle recovery, energy production, nervous system, all of it. So mm. yes, magnesium is generally one that I do regularly supplement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, overall, I try and get most of them to get all of their nutrients from the diet, unless of mm. course I I love testing to yeah. see where we're at. Um, and if there's ever a big event coming up, so any of the, oh, hello, <laughs> um, any of the um, Ironman athletes, I always get them to, she's so cute. <laughs> she is. Oh, she's gorgeous. I'll quickly say the intercom's ringing and she thinks oh. always when it rings that there's a present coming upstairs for her because my partner always buys her soft toys. So she hears the postman ring the doorbell and she's like, oh, there's something coming for me. This is for me. Most of the time it's not, but we come up the stairs with a box and she's like, oh, what is it? (laughs) She's like, this one's not for me. This is boring. Yes. (laughs) Um, Anyway, micros, which ones were we just talking about? Um, Magnesium. Magnesium. I think we're on that one there. Yeah. So um, oh, testing. That's what I was talking about. So testing any of the big events, I always love to get the athletes tested to yep. see where their nutrient levels are. Because Blood testing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously with their training plans and their endurance training, we need to make sure all of that is good mm. <laughs> at the beginning. Otherwise, you start seeing injury, immune function, all of it deplete sort mm-hmm. of in that last four to six weeks before an event, yep. which is not when they want to see that happening. Mm-hmm. So and things like vitamin D just for bones and stress fractures and, yeah, all of yep. those. But um, creatine's a big one, more so for things like sort of that more intense exercise. So for the yeah. energy systems when we're looking at the phosphate system, so any of the CrossFit mm-hmm. athletes that I work with or anyone doing weightlifting, that's more of a nutrient that I use with them. Mm-hmm. And with something like that, do you look at getting that from supplements? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few ways that you can work with creatine. So you can just sort of do an ongoing daily or you can do mm-hmm. loading doses and then supplement from there. Um, the research behind it is really good. And clinically, I've had athletes really notice mm-hmm. um, with their performance as well. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, supplement as well. Yeah, I think the blood testing thing is such a huge, like, missing piece for a lot of people. I just find it so helpful. I feel like I would be flying blind. I'm, yeah, I, I do blood testing always between appointments one and two, and then usually three-month retesting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on how they're going, there's potentially another retest after that if there's things that we need to look at. But there's just so much crossover, I think, in terms of symptoms. And I think um, I don't know if you find this, but I also think if there's something that's been going on for a long time, like say, for example, B12 deficiency Mm -hmm. isn't something that happens overnight, like that will take maybe a couple of years to develop. And if someone has transitioned to, you know, a plant-based diet, more of a vegetarian diet, or just maybe isn't, or, or, you know, might have gut function issues, all sorts of different things that could potentially cause that, Um, you know, because it isn't something that happens overnight, if they have made a dietary change or if there has been some change, they're just not going to relate it back to that. No. And I think when you get used to feeling a little bit shit all the time, just becomes that just normal. becomes your normal. You're like, this is yeah. just how I feel. And yeah. it's usually not until people start making changes that they're like, oh, 
this is what everyone else feels like. This is what not having a B12 yeah. deficiency feels like, right? And absolutely. For and something like what it feels like to wake up in the morning and have energy. Yeah. And, yep. And actually, pe- people don't realize like iron and B12, the mental health implications as well that that can have. Like you can literally feel like yeah. an anxious mess mm-hmm. um, with those sorts of deficiencies. It's not just about like, you know, having a bit more energy, energy. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it goes so yeah. much deeper than that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And it's really talking about the energy there. I've actually had two recently, both doing HIIT training. Yep. And they were using a lot of pre-workouts. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I despise. Can't <laughs> I can't deal. <laughs> and the mortified at the thought of me transitioning them off pre-workouts. And, and they're now at a point. They don't have any pre-workouts. Yeah, they're down from these multiple coffees a day to one coffee a day. Enjoying I'm like having coffee. heart palpitations just thinking about that. Like, like, <laughs> but it's quite, but as they were saying, without that, they could not do the training Function, session. Which is like, a problem. Like that's a red flag. Oh, my yeah. gosh. If you need all of that to be yeah. doing the training session, then you're not in a state to be doing that training session. No, no. Yeah. You're literally trying to like pardon the... Um, yeah. saying but like push shit uphill right by absolutely and that's yeah. going to have consequences as well like it's that whole analogy of pouring from an empty cup and oh. you're mm-hmm. throwing things like extra caffeine and pre-workout and things like that into your system and you're just trying to pour from an empty cup which ultimately yeah. is going to have sort of long-term or downstream consequences for your body mm-hmm. because it has has nothing it's that left whole to give. Sense of energy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The perception, it's feeling good, it's feeling fine, mm. but the body has no fuel. It's just running on reserves. And so it is interesting. It's really, I love watching that and then realizing that they yes. can do all of this on food. Yes. And they change their diet. And they've said, I had one uh, lady yesterday who said she can't believe how she feels mm. now and all of this energy has come back and she feels calm and happy and she's training without all of those sort Stimulance. of yeah, yeah just to get just to get her through so it is awesome and i think sometimes it's easy to forget that that is the knowledge that's out there initially it does yeah. make people feel good so they're like okay well that must be good not understanding that there's still no fuel there. I forget there. sometimes that pre-workouts exist. Um, oh. But, yeah, just I because I will always explain if I can see someone having like two or three coffees a day mm-hmm. and like, okay, we need to have a talk about like what that's doing to your cortisol levels and your glucose levels. And yeah. if you do have weight loss goals, like how that's impacting it, you know, mm-hmm. you think you're able to just be super productive and get all this stuff done during the day, but the reality is like that's the hormonal response in your body is initiating fat storage um and I think people don't realize that when it comes to pre-workouts because I just was talking to this client recently about it and she was like oh so I should probably stop having my pre-workout in the morning as well as my two to three coffees I was like you can have one coffee but like you don't need to have no one needs to have two or three coffees and a pre-workout like I'm sorry but like you said, if you need to have all of that in order just to get through, the, the, there's something yeah. seriously wrong. <laughs> yes. And it's sort of that one too, isn't it? You probably need better nutrition and some sleep Yes, <laughs> to start yeah. with. But, yeah, that thought of a pre-workout, a high-intensity training session, coffee after. Yeah, the high-intensity session, yeah. yeah that's so, so true. That's added. Cortisol <laughs> happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So pre-workouts, that's always, that's one we touch on quite a bit. Yeah. That's almost a whole topic in itself. Yeah, I think it that cortisol <laughs> response to, and I guess, do you want to maybe just explain that? So we do cover it off very briefly for anyone that's not sure, like what we're talking about when you have too much caffeine and when you're doing, you know, adding something in like high intensity training, what that's yeah. doing to our stress hormones and sort of what happens in our physiology. Yeah. So um, simple way. I mean, uh, the old school way of always explaining the fight or flight is sort of the saber tooth yes. tiger. I I tend to like to look at it as more of a something that's more relatable to today because mm-hmm. we're not running away from tigers all the time. 
But that response, if we feel we're about to have a car accident and a car comes out in front of us and we get the tingles, we get a bit sweaty under the arms, it's that stress response. So that's an acute stress response that we have, which the body is designed very well to do. And we actually build quite a lot of resilience from that as well. So in that moment, blood's going to our brain so we can think fast. It's going to our muscles so we can act fast there. And that is a very acute level. So that's that sympathetic nervous system, um, which is known as that fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Then we have that parasympathetic nervous system, which different terms, people will call it that rest and digest. Mm -hmm. It's when our endocrine system, so our hormones can function, our digestion functions, everything starts to slow down in that time. So there's various things where we get that cortisol spike. So cortisol is our stress hormone Mm -hmm. and that allows for all of those functions to happen. So in an acute state, which is great, that builds resilience, we should go up and then we should come down. When we're in that chronic state of stress, we have this high cortisol all mm-hmm. the time. So cortisol is a glucocorticoid, um, which predominantly will need glucose for that to build. So it also interrupts with our insulin and then we can have weight gain in the end. So looking at things of chronic stress, so high-intensity exercise, as much as it's great for us, it is raising that stress response coffee, all of the things in life that happen. So grief is up there, financial stress, whether we've had an argument with our partner at home in the morning, or even I look at the notifications on phones and the beep that's happening there. These the emails. Are stresses that are happening <laughs> constantly yeah. in our day. So all of these impact cortisol. So I look at ways where we can just bring all of those down. So things Mm -hmm. that we don't need, such as a pre-workout in there, that can come out. Minimising some of that, we don't need to be doing high-intensity training six days a week. So Mm -hmm. bringing that down as well and working through there so we can just lower the cortisol. I'm not sure. Did that explain that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I think it, it whenever what it's not possible to completely remove all of, of the stresses no. in our life. But it's part I of think, life. Yeah, sometimes when you look at someone's overall sort of life and them in a nutshell, you can really see where some of those exacerbating um factors might be. Like say, as you said, you know, someone might have a really high pressure job or there might be some financial stress or whatever it is going on for them at home, and then they're doing like a high intensity session five times a week and having two or three coffees and then maybe you know they're not eating very like they're you know eating basically like their kids scraps or something like that for lunch you know you see those sorts of like really common issues and you're like okay cool well here are all you know the things that we can look at changing we can't necessarily change your um, your job for you oh, or do what you can yes when you can and yeah. everyone's life and I think we go in a, in a roller coaster don't we there's yeah. times in our life where it feels Seasons, like yeah super cruisy there's nothing going on and other times where we're on and everyone's life's very different so I always think you just you do what you can nothing's yeah. ever perfect yeah absolutely way. But just touching on that cortisol Mm. as well, post-training. So post-training, we've actually got quite a good window there where we're more insulin sensitive. Mm -hmm. So I often work with people on having carbohydrates and protein post those training sessions Mm -hmm. rather than going out and having a coffee straight away, which is just (laughs) increasing that cortisol. When we have carbohydrate, it actually blunts that mm. cortisol response. So carbohydrates and protein are really important post those training sessions as well. Is that why people, when they're like more prone to being highly stressed, will often like crave carbohydrates? Yeah. Do you think? So, well, I always look at it that, yes, it's a glucocorticoid. Mm. So that glucose response also, they're probably, probably multifactorial. I think, yeah, yeah, I think probably fatigue in yeah. there as well. So we're yeah. going for that quick release energy, dopamine I, I, hit, yeah. and things Definitely. like that. Yeah, it's, it's always more than one reason. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Um, amazing. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on today that you wanted to mention? Um, I think, I mean, we've covered sort of a little bit there with the nutrients. Yeah. I mean, gut issues is probably yeah. like that's another, we could do a whole. Yeah, we, maybe we can have you back on. <laughs> another one on that sort of, yeah, how to train the gut for events. So mm. there's no GI issues on event day. Um, that's often a big one as well. Um, and yeah, and sort of that low energy availability, which we yeah. touched on yeah. a little bit there as well, and just different things to look out for. So I'd probably just finish on that mm. then and just say if anyone is in the middle of a training program and they're finding that they're losing their passion for it, their performance is plateauing, they're getting lots of little niggles that aren't going away, uh, feeling anything sort of anxiety coming in, they're not sleeping well, getting mood changes, they're frustrated or starting to notice any menstrual dysregulation. They're mm -hmm. probably some really good things to think about how much fuel is yeah. actually going in and they might need to just have a look at what's happening. Yeah, and, and I think like you mentioned with your own personal experience, you know, that's where it can be really helpful to get some professional advice from someone like yourself around that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's all best intentions. Most of the people I work with, I'd say 90% have no idea. Yeah. Well, we're not, why would we? Yeah. You know, there is a handful that are intentionally trying yeah. to lose, to lose weight, but most of the time, these athletes want to perform their best mm. and can't figure out why their performance is struggling and they think they're doing all the right things. Mm. Um, so it's really can be quite a quick turnaround once the nutrition's all dialed Plugged in, in. they've got everything. Mm. Yeah, it's really great to see them flourish. Yeah, amazing. Well, I'd love if you could share how listeners can get in touch with you um, and also learn more about working with you. Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Instagram, so Meals underscore nutrition. Um, Facebook as well. Instagram's where I spend most of my time. <laughs> um, and alethianutrition.net.au and that website there. So you can book everything online. Um, DMs can be sent through or emails just mm -hmm. if there's any questions or if you'd like to have a chat to see if I'm a good person to be working with you. Amazing. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. And yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time today. Beautiful. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.